this podcast, Joanna Walsh discusses the concept of the Irish literary boom with publishers Sarah Davis-Goff of Trent Press, Susan Tomaselli, editor of Gorse Journal, and Amy Aaron of the Irish Writers' Centre. I'm here at the Irish Writers' Centre in Dublin to talk about what has been called the Irish literary boom. The Irish writing boom was a term possibly coined by Justine Jordan last October in The Guardian, who in a long piece describes the huge success of a new generation of Irish writers. It's a wide and impressive list, from Kevin Barry, last year's winner of the Goldsmiths Prize, to Lisa McInerney, Paul Murray, Daniel McLaughlin, many others. The Guardian also includes writers living outside Ireland, like Julian Goff, long-term non-Irish residents in Ireland, like Tom Morris and Claire Louise Bennett, and writers born and living outside Ireland but of Irish parentage, like Imam McBride. Is there really anything that can be drawn together about these writers? Bert Wright of Mountains to Sea Festival, in response to The Guardian in the Irish Times, was sceptical. He said, To get a story, you have to join up so many dots that may not be connected. The whole school or movement idea is just a labelling exercise for journalists and critics. Convenient, but not very substantive. I have with me some of the people behind the success of these writers. Sarah Davis-Goff, one half of Tramp Press. Susan Tomaselli, editor and founder of Gorse Journal. And Amy Heron of the Irish Writers' Centre. I'm hoping this will be a conversation rather than a straight interview with each of you, so please do butt in and um, exchange <laughs> no opinions. Okay, let's start with Susan. You are the editor and founder of Gorse Journal, um, a relatively Indeed recent journal on the Irish scene, uh, which seems to be thriving. Um, there are well-established magazines like Stinging Fly and Dublin Review running new writing, um, joined by newer journals such as Penny Jedful and Banshee. I wondered if you could talk a bit about the history of uh, the culture of literary journals in Ireland. Certainly. Um, I won't say Gorse was founded as an intervention, because that's <laughs> disrespectful <laughs> to what's already there. Um, and it makes it, it sound as if Irish literature was treading water. But I was tickled by transitions. Um, this is a magazine that goes back to the Birth of Modernism in, mm-hmm. in Paris and first published uh, Finnegan's Wake as work in progress but I was tickled by their manifesto um, and the fact that they were a firecracker for the middle class, middle brow patrons of the arts um, I spent a lot of time looking backwards before I wanted to think about moving forwards mm-hmm. and the legacy of the literary journals, not just in Ireland but also internationally like Margaret Anderson's Little Review. Yes. Um, and also um, Wyndham Lewis's Blast, which you'll be familiar with. So you're looking abroad as well as... To I, I, I looked abroad initially, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then I spent some time in the archives in the National Library looking at the bell and the threshold and the um, a magazine from the North called The Honest Ulsterman. Oh yes, mm. which has just been which revived, has just been yes. relaunched in a, in a in a new form. One magazine I didn't come across until someone wrote an essay on it was um, a magazine edited by a woman in the nineteen end of nineteen fifties, early nineteen sixties called Nonplus, mm-hmm. um, and it its name was a little N, yeah. much like Gorse. I wish I'd known that beforehand. Um, but it only published for two years, four issues. Um, the editor, Patricia Avis Murphy, 
it's probably reductive to think of her as such, but she's remembered for her association with the angry young men oh, yeah. in the UK and for her affair with Philip Larkin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and in fact, Larkin's biographers are very dismissive of her mm -hmm. and somewhat misogynistic. Um, Martin Amis, when he was reviewing letters to Monica, dismissed her as a neurotic poetess and mm. elsewhere she's also been described as a experienced man-eater. <laughs> but she published the likes of Patrick Kavanagh, uh, Flan O'Brien, uh, Hubert Butler, who's a huge force in, mm. in Irish literature. Mm -hmm. um, she also wrote novel, but um, it was discovered posthumously in her archive um, and it certainly, I don't think, would have been published during the day, given mm -hmm. the um, censorship uh, of um, publications board that existed until 2010 mm -hmm. in Ireland. Because of some of the themes that she talks about in the novel, um, there's an explicit homosexual affair, mm -hmm. and she implicitly talks about abortion, mm -hmm. which is quite pertinent, really, given the the discussion around um, repealing the Eighth Amendment. But she's one of these voices that was um, f almost forgotten about in, in Irish literature. Um, and But there's certainly a legacy there. I, I didn't even know she existed on, until Orla mm. Fitzpatrick wrote an essay on her. I wonder, I wonder if we should stop and just talk about what you mean by repealing the Eighth there, just for a minute, just so to, to contextualise... Um, um, just everything that you've been saying. Um, so essentially um, about 12 Irish women a day have to go abroad for sure. abortions because they're illegal here and that's um, an absolute disgrace obviously. Um, and so we um, politically minded people in Ireland are essentially trying to um, repeal an amendment to our constitution which allows for this to happen which is so you know there's a lot of talk in Ireland about repealing the eighth of the women which is great so that mm -hmm. I just wanted to provide a little background there. And there is, in fact, an, an artist petition to repeal the There is. So that, that's it interesting, is. a link between, between the Art. idea of artistic freedom, yeah. mm -hmm. literary freedom, and, and it's, um, it's right. freedom, which day is by day. I think, you know, they're, yes. they're tweeting on a daily basis. I think Jennifer Johnston was one of the biggest names most recently to mm -hmm. sign. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in talking about the journals that have existed mm -hmm. and um, the idea of them feeding through to, to publishers, bringing, publish, bringing writers to publishers' attention. And I wondered if if Sarah could talk a little bit about that, do you, do, sure. do you feel that the <clears throat> that the, the journals well exist to uh, the, that it's a very good way of bringing writing to the attention of publishers? Um, well, I think journals exist um, certainly not to cut out to oh, publishers, sure. yes. but um, mm -hmm. I think the work that they do in and of themselves is so essential and so important. Mm -hmm. But um, happily for publishers, I think that sometimes they provide an excellent. Um, a way in, I suppose, for writers who are just starting to experiment with short work, possibly, or with essays, um, or with poetry. Um, I think there's an invaluable way of um, providing those maybe first experiences of being edited and being published professionally. Um, there's, so there's a huge short story culture in Ireland, yeah, and, and perhaps sure. it's, it's predicated on the existence of these, these venues where people right. can write short form. And I wonder if journals do a better job than publishers, um, historically, in finding new artists. You know, I mean, they have more pages to fill, they have a, a greater variety of um, of roles to allow writers to fill with each issue. I mean, publishers generally are just publishing, you know, one author ago, um, 
So I think perhaps they often have um, a better ear to the ground for what's really happening mm -hmm. at the moment and they're sure, and, and that's so important. I think for the writers as well, it means that they're not pigeonholed per se as being an essayist or a poet. Yeah. It, you know, submitting to journals actually allows them to experiment with their own forms and there's a real sense of freedom. Absolutely. That. Evelyn Conlon spoke very recently about this, specifically in relation to literary prizes. She said all the young writers want to know how to win prizes. But she said that um, the downside of that was that exciting, innovative new work has been bulldozed by giddy marketing. <laughs> that there's a conspiracy to oh, have us all true. reading the same book. Mm -hmm. So I think right. the journals provide... Yes. Yeah. It's an early antithesis to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's uh, just because there's a journal culture, I don't think it means it's inaccessible. You know, I think there is a real marketplace mm. at the moment for journals to be tapping into more mm. mainstream readerships. Yes. I agree. And I think that's been proven again and again. I think, I think journalists and small independent publishers like my own press, Tramp Press, and they actually have quite a lot in common in that we're not... I mean, you know, commercial success is just like some wicked fantasy on the far <laughs> horizon that we can't take too seriously. And what we're really interested in is just publishing exceptional work just on its own terms and absolutely I think, and good writing and good writing yeah. that is all that matters that is the only thing that matters um, and I think happily sometimes this does make a big story I think Emma McBride's um, A Girl as a half Form Thing is probably you know the one um, that everyone is most familiar with where um, I think she was paid £600 for it um, at um, the brilliant publisher in the UK, Gally Beggar, um, and it went on to do extremely well. Mm -hmm. And this is a writer who had been turned down, um, not by editorial departments necessarily, but by marketing teams yes. saying we mm -hmm. don't know how to place yes. it. There's, I mean, there is a place for exceptional work. Readers aren't stupid. They are looking for their next great read. They don't care where it comes from or who it's by or... Um, you know, whether it um, conforms to, you know, heteronormative society's <laughs> perceptions of what a book should look like. Um, so, yeah, it's very exciting. Yes, no, I, I, can, I completely agree with that, in the, the, with the place of small publishers, and um, certainly in bringing exciting new work to readers. Right. Perhaps um, less risk-averse as well. Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. They're willing to yes. take a punt. Yeah. Yeah. Even actual appetite for yeah. getting weird yeah. stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think at the back of our discussion of, of, of all these factors is, is something to do with money. I mean, we were talking about how much Ima was, was paid for her initial manuscript. I was going to wanted to talk to Amy because um, at the Irish Writers' Centre you have a great role in supporting writers and um, making sure that... Um, they are they are able to access a structure of of, um, of jobs of grants yeah. that support their writing. I suppose it's it's more uh, support rather than you know direct opportunities. Having said that, we do um, associate with um, Anam Kara and Anna McCarrick to provide writer residencies. Um, however, on a more daily basis, what we provide for writers, and we like to think that we cater to writers at all stages of their career, mm -hmm. so whether you're just starting out, maybe you're somewhere in the middle, or perhaps you have a few publications under your belt. Um, so we have you know, courses, we have professional development services, mm -hmm. and then obviously we um, you know, cater to readerships as well in terms of the events that we provide. So um, you know, we're, we're on our way, if not there already, to being the, the flagship organisation for Irish writing. Um, and we're, we're trying you know, to, <laughs> to reach the, all of Ireland, I suppose, as yes. opposed to... I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, about Irish literature, literary culture in terms of things mm -hmm. like festivals. Um, and recently, uh, Philip Pullman pulled out of the Oxford Literary Festival um, on the grounds that they weren't going to pay speakers. Uh, I, th I think the situation is very different in Ireland. Whenever yeah. I've spoken at, at Irish literary festivals, there's... They, they, they seem very supportive in financial terms, even if it's not massive. Um, it seems standard that um, 
it's expected that, that writers will be paid for their work. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the craft of writing is so respected in Ireland. Um, you know, I think there's a legacy of that, and I think it's still, you know, very prominent. And no one wants a writer to turn up and, you know, perhaps take part in a panel event or give a, you know, a workshop or a masterclass and then to turn away with nothing at the end of the day. Obviously, there's some sort of value exchange between the writer and the audience. Um, however, it is their job, you know, it's many people are trying to carve a career from writing. So um, for writers not to be paid at festivals, of which there's no shortage in Ireland, mm -hmm. you know, we have so many, there's... Court, Ennis, Belfast Book Festival, Mountains to See, exactly, and I mean, like they're nationwide as well, which is fantastic. Um, and obviously, each festival has a different budget, but I think there is definitely a motivation from the curators and the programmers to pay people, perhaps not as much as they would like to be paying them. Um, but whether it's you know a token fee or accommodation or transport, there is as I say, a sense of value and worth that is perceived with writers. The support doesn't just come in financial terms. Um, whenever I go to a reading in Ireland, uh, the readings are always very well attended by other writers. Um, they all buy each other's books, uh, they all turn up, and uh, readings tend to be longer than they are in the UK. I think people have a greater tolerance for listening to, yeah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> to, to writing read aloud. Certainly what I found is that the writer is no longer just a writer. A writer is a performer and has to be good at social media, and you know there's a string of other things that they have to be, you know, if not expert in, at least adequate. So it's quite a, a challenging role for someone to have to develop this performative aspect to their work. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, there is a real sense of support and camaraderie and, um, and also a sense of interest. You know, if you've heard that someone's a great reader, because the literary scene in Ireland is small enough, you're going to want to gain access right. to that person and, and see what they're doing that you could maybe Plus, uh, pick up on. And there's a connection. I was at the launch for Emer McBride's A Girl Is A Half Form thing in Hodges Figgis bookshop. And there was a connection actually hearing her read. Mm -hmm. um, and that work it's that's so something I find important. And I prefer longer readings because yeah. you get a, a sense of, of mm -hmm. the writer's work. And, and Joanna, actually, I, re I, I, I read your work differently now, having listened to you read it yourself quite a lot, and much more of the humour of it comes yeah. through, yes. and much more of that like lovely, dry, witty voice. Is I, love, I personally love, love reading it out. I think, um, I think we, have to, we yes. have to acknowledge Kevin Barry as well oh, as one God, of the yeah. you know, best contemporary readers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that is such an... I mean, it's, yeah, it's sort of a pathogen to say that the reader is important, but we're so lucky in Ireland to have such voracious, nearly competitive readers. Um, you know, everyone is interested in getting, you know, a galley of our, our next book, which is just absolutely lovely. Um, I think the, um, the Irish literary scene benefits from being exceptionally well connected to its readers. I mean, these readers are all talking to each other about what's great. They're just, uh, it's very connected. It's very... Um, vocal um everyone everyone is very engaged um in literature here and i think that's i'm, I'm not sure you get that in any, any I other think country that's a really important word engaged you know that you have people like audiences turning up to events and not being shy at the end you know right the questions, the questions are amazing absolutely yeah. yeah very often it's worth sticking around at the end of a panel discussion just right. to hear what the audience comes out with i'm interested in what what's kind of created this 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 field for engagement and um, certainly the guardian were interested in using the word boom, which is obviously mm. linked to the idea of the Celtic Tiger boom and bust. Mm. Um, the idea that, um, as Ennin Wright said in that uh, piece, it's hard to write in Ireland during the Tiger times. There was a sense of get with the programme, you're off message. Um, Claire Kilroy, in her 2012 novel, The Devil I Know, said money kills the imagination. 
Um, it makes us want the same thing. Do you think that this, this, the, the bust, it's, it's a cliche that the bust has, has made people feel that, that, that writing, reading, and being engaged in literature is, is a viable option? Yeah, I do, but I think not just in literature, certainly in Dublin over the last few years when the bust really kicked in, you could see people getting creative, you know, in terms of their their passions and their labour of love projects. So it's not just in relation to writing and literature, I don't think. There was, you know, maybe the job... Um, you know the jobs weren't there so they turned to what they really wanted to do and that directly relates to setting up tramp actually I mean Lisa and I set up tramp press for a lot of different reasons and one was just like pure anger at the patriarchy but another was the fact that you know there's a recession on like we weren't going to be getting jobs it was move abroad or it was try something ourselves Um, and it's easier I think at least in some ways to set up a business and to do something creative um, when times are tough um, it's cheaper to do it. People are looking for a good news story. People back you. Um, and so that's really important. Um, I did want to ask you, Sarah, um, of course, we're all, we're all women here. Is it a coincidence or not? I, I wonder. <laughs> um, but uh, Tramp Press is a press that focuses on women's writing. Of course, we haven't university published writing only by women. Uh, but I, w- I wondered if you could talk about that. Anne Wright said to me when I did an event with her last year that uh, writing for women, the opportunities, the atmosphere had changed radically in the last 10 years. Do you agree? I, I think it has. Um, but let me say first, um, that Trump didn't set out to be a feminist press particularly. Um, we had no idea when we set out that we'd be publishing mostly women. Um, and I think I think that's happening because still, despite the fact that everyone around this table right now is a woman, most of the publishing decisions in Ireland are made by men. And there's um, there's a, a sort of a male aesthetic um, more um, more men are published. Um, Absolutely. Um, going back to Patricia Murphy again, there was an overwhelmingly masculinist national literary right. culture. And I, think, and I um, think that's starting to change. Yes, I think it is too. I hope it is. Um, so we, we certainly didn't set out to just be a feminist press that you know particularly focused on women's writing. It's just we set out to treat writers seriously, to treat our slush pile seriously. Um, and in doing so, we keep finding exceptional work by women that's been completely overlooked elsewhere. Um, it was really surprising to us when we set up that we had people say to us um, about Flight, for example, which is the first novel that we published in 2014 by Una Frawley, and which was mentioned in that Guardian piece mm-hmm. about the boom of Irish writing mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier. Um, so we had someone say to us, well, you know, it'll never sell, it's by a woman. And three of the main characters are female, and this is a problem. You know, you know this isn't interesting. It just hadn't occurred to my business partner, Lisa and I, that these were just mm-hmm. people with mm-hmm. stories rather than they had a gender, they had, you know, this or that. Um, so... I think that women's writing is being overlooked and um, that's kind of great for Trap Press because we keep finding it and it's awesome and it's ridiculously easy to sell because people are just interested in great stories because readers are smart. Mm-hmm. And you also have di- rediscovered several voices from the past. Right, um, so we have um, a list called Recovered Voices where um, we try every year to find one book that has been just lost to the public consciousness for no particularly good reason. Um, and we um, we publish it again, um, and we generally find an academic to um, write an introduction to contextualise why the work is important. Um, and it's uh, there's such fun to read. There's so much exceptional literature out there that has been completely forgotten. We have so far just published women, and um, I think again because you know the work seems more often to be overlooked. 
But um, our first book was um, called A Struggle for Fame by a woman called Charlotte Riddell, um, who's essentially like an Irish Jane Austen. And it's just, it's very, very funny. Um, and it's still extremely relevant, extremely fresh. Um, so it's been our absolute pleasure and honour to be, to be undertaking this. And it's wonderful to see Maeve Brennan, one of the great Irish writers who happens to be female, being republished by Stinging Fly. It's wonderful. I can't yeah. wait to pick up a copy. And Sinead's book, we were going to discuss The Long Gaze Back right. and the forthcoming uh, The Glass Shore. These are both anthologies of um, Irish women writers, past and present. The first one, The Long Gaze Back, of, um, of, of, of writers from the Republic of Ireland and The Glass Shore from Northern Irish women writers. And what I particularly love about these stories, they're just selling like gangbusters. I mean, um, a long days back came out a while ago, and it is the everywhere best, still. Yeah. What was it? Was it the best? The best, best Irish, Irish published book, book at the Irish Book Awards, yes, which was fantastic year. and mm. so well deserved. I think it's such an incredible project, and it's, mm. oh, it's so great to see. It's really encouraging. Mm. I think I'll, I'll ask you a last question for everybody because we have to bring this to an end for time reasons, I'm afraid. Um, I would like to ask, you know, which are the Irish writers we should be reading? Perhaps the ones that aren't necessarily known outside Ireland. New writers from Gorse Journal. <laughs> New writers New from writers. Gorse Who's coming through? Let me see. Probably Emma Ryan is the voice to watch, I would say. Um, she's been published in the Dublin Review and um, Kevin Barry included her in his time and the country anthology for mm. Faber a few years ago, but she's writing exceptionally well and good short story writer. Um, Sally Rooney is another very interesting up-and-coming voice, I think. Um, mm. Sarah Baum, if anyone out there hasn't read Sarah Baum, mm. I'm not sure if, there are anyone, if there's anyone left who hasn't read her, but um, she's fantastic. Um, and every now and then I think you come across um, a writer who's just so exceptionally exciting that you, you keep finding yourself talking about, about him or her. So I just have to mention Mike McCormick, who is an Irish writer who's been working away for a couple of decades on his own brand of weird kind of Ian Banksy, um, interesting, brave, um, challenging writing. And his, his next novel, which we're publishing, I'm delighted to say, is, is really something to be excited about. So that, that'll be cool. Uh, we're really, really lucky here at the centre to have um, so many events on a regular basis that some of which aren't necessarily programmed by ourselves, uh, which is really interesting because we might get, uh, we might tap into voices and names that we at the centre haven't come across yet, and especially going back to the journals being, you know, instrumental to discovering a lot of those new voices. Um, it's it's really, really fantastic to see a lot of up and coming writers. So. Um, there's no particular names that are coming to mind at the moment because there are far too many to mention, but I think... But where, where should we go to hear them? Um, where should you go? The Irish Writer Centre. Oh, well. <laughs> the Irish Writer Centre, um, Horse Journal, This is it. I mean, what's, what's really interesting is that um, some of the classroom spaces that we, we have here that are available to members to just drop in and effectively hot desk and just you know, tap away at their computers all day. Um, we don't know how many of them could be, you know, the next Booker Prize, or <laughs> which is, um, we just don't know what they're up to until a few years later. Um, we had a visit from President Higgins um, just last January, who's the patron of the centre. And he's a poet, I believe, which he is, is something you don't find many poet presidents Absolutely in, uh, across not. the world. Um, so he was um, here in honour of our 25 years, and he was um, just, re you know, recalling when he first entered the building and you know, the names that have passed through over the years. And at the time, it, currently in this boom, we just don't know who's going to be the next big thing. Okay. Um, Sarah Davis-Goff, Amy Heron, and Susan Tomaselli, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.